Hey guys, and welcome back to the 80s, a decade of crime. So today we are covering the murder of Mark Stefano. Now the story had super minimal media coverage, and I only found about two articles that were really directly about Mark's story. I've done some extra digging and found some obituaries, which I have linked. All right, so I'm going to give you what I got. Let's talk about Mark. Now, Mark Stefano was the third of four children. He had an older brother named Mike, an older sister Angela, and a baby sister named Jacqueline. Now, Mark's mother, Billy, she uh, was a seamstress, a hairdresser, and she also later found a career in office management. Now, the, link, uh, the only obituary is Herbs that I found, which is linked. There's uh, over 18 different comments of people reaching out and giving their condolences for Billy's death. She was a, obviously a very well-loved woman. Now, Billy married Mike Halka. This was her second husband and Mark's and everybody's stepfather. Now, he was a masonry and business owner, and they decided to build a home on Lion Road in Jerusalem Township, Ohio. It was a big home that fit the whole family at the time. Now around this time, it was 1980, and Mark was the young age and 15 years old, and he was already six feet tall, popular in school, just an easygoing guy that was loved by many. Now it was almost the end of the school year, and uh, there was a dance coming up, and Mike was planning on attending with his girlfriend. But unfortunately, on May 9th, 1980, Mark was caught smoking in the school bathroom and was not allowed to attend the dance. That was a pretty harsh punishment, I would say, for just smoking a cigarette. You know, maybe what was he in the non-smoking bathroom? Because in the 80s, I thought you could just smoke anywhere you wanted. Anyway, Mike's parents weren't too upset over this incident and uh, did allow Mark to go out with his girlfriend to some after-party stuff. Now, after hanging out around town, they said that he went to a couple different restaurants and Mark ended up getting a ride back to his friend Larry Mentor's house. Now it says Larry, Mark, and another one of their friends, they're all hanging out after the dance, and they said that they got into a little bit of vodka. Now around the other night, Larry's friend was going to spend the night, and he told Mark to spend the night as well. But Mark's mother, Billy, got a puppy German Shepherd just a few days before, and Mark wanted to go home and sleep with the puppy and spend some time with them. So Mark decided to walk home. It was only about two miles, which should have taken about 30 minutes. Now, Larry said Mark left about 4.30 a.m. to walk home. Now it's 6.30 a.m. early May 10th. The sun had just come up and John Hansen, who was a hunter, was driving home down Brown Road. Now he spotted a body about 12 feet off the road. He pulled over to check and to see if the person there was okay. The boy was not okay. John rushed home and called the police. The Toledo police responded and found that it was Mark DiStefano's body. His body was found 0.7 miles past his home. So remember that, because that's important later. Mark was shot twice in the back and three times in the back of the head. Now, Mark was only 15. It was at the time that Dr. Harry McNeary, the then Lucas County coroner, said he placed the death at 4.30 a.m. That was the same time that Larry presumably said that he left his house, which I find is very strange. 
Now, at the scene of the crime, bullet casings were found spread out on both sides of the road, leading many to believe that Mark tried to escape whomever gave him a ride that night, and after driving past his home, because that's where they found his body, he tried to escape, and he was chased and unfortunately shot down. Now, I guess this murder was a rare occurrence in Lucas County, where Mark and his family lived, and sadly, in the 40 years since, Mark's case remains open and unsolved. Officers have further investigated the case in 1981, 1987, and the year 2000. Now, just recently, in 2018, Captain Matt Lutke took over the detective's division in the Lucas County Sheriff's Department, and he's trying to take another shot at trying to solve this murder. Now, with fresh eyes on the already boxes of files, Captain Lutke has said that, quote, I've treated this case as if it happened last Sunday as opposed to 40 years ago, end quote. Now, he has Obviously, many deep sympathies with the family involved because he has also said, quote, My heart goes out to those families. I can't even imagine not knowing who killed my loved one. I can't imagine for any of those families, whatever they go, what they go through every day. And you can tell when you talk to those families that it is every day. It may have been 40 years ago, but to them, it is still very real and very fresh. End quote. Now, obviously, like Captain Lucky said, that the further you get away from crime, the harder it is to solve. And, you know, in my research and what is on the Internet and from what I've read that there's really only two leads that he also did revisit and things that actually stood out in the case. The first lead I have titled this The Mystery Man. Now, Jim Highmore, who is Mark's uncle, said that he knows who killed Mark. Now, Jim said that him and his wife were at a party shortly after Mark's death. And at that party, Jim was told directly a drunken story by a man who said that him and his buddy were out at the bar and then they went to the pier and they got into a, quote, hot fight at the pier with a Halka kid. Now, the man then continued to say that, quote, bang, bang, no more Halka. So he insinuated that they shot the person they got into a fight with. Now, the pier that the man spoke of was apparently a hot spot for kids to hang out. So Mark could have possibly hitched a ride on his walk home and possibly ended up at the pier. Angela said that getting a ride from a stranger wasn't like Mark and that if a fight did break out, that Mark would have never been the one to start it because he was a lover, not a fighter. Now, the man referred to him and said, a Halka kid. Now, he could not know that Mark's last name was DeSafano, but presumably knowing his stepfather, Mike Halka. Now, Jim told this story to the police, and the incident was investigated, but the police concluded that the timeline of Mark's death, which was at 4.30 a.m., wouldn't match up with the series of events that happened shortly after he got picked up, that all this would have taken too much time, and that it wouldn't have matched up with the 4.30 death time. Now, Jim Highmore still said and is convinced that that man killed Mark, and I guess in 2018, according to the article I read, uh, the man died and that no further investigation or evidence was ever found. Now we go on to the second lead. So the Cooks. Now Nathaniel and Anthony Cook are serial killers who were linked to multiple rapes and murders during a 16th month period between 1980 and 1981. Now, Mark's sister Angela is the one who really believed that the Cooks are connected to this murder because, here's why, it was only four days after Mark's murder that the abduction of Sandra Podgorski and Tommy Gordon took place. Now, Tommy's murder was 
eerily similar to Mark's. And according to a confession made by Anthony Cook, he detailed exactly how Tommy was murdered. Now, Tommy was being driven to a remote location in Lucas County by the two brothers. I guess Tommy managed to escape the car and make a run for it. Anthony said that he told his brother Nathaniel to go get him and shoot him. Now, Tommy was shot at least four times from a 22 caliber rifle in the back. Now, also, I found that in Lucas County, the Cooks picked up a 19-year-old hitchhiker, Connie Sue Thompson. Unfortunately, after she was raped and murdered, her body was dumped off a bridge into a stream when her body was later found by police. Now, the similarities and locations of these murders and have had others lead to believe that they are responsible for Mark DeStefano's murder. Now, however, the Cooks have confessed to many of their murders for a plea deal and things like that. I might possibly do a story on these two later because they obviously did do a lot in the 1980s. But in all of their their confessions, Mark was never mentioned. Something like, because, but I mean, their killing spree only started four days after Mark was murdered. So it could have been a possible thing that that's what sparked it. You know, and that's maybe that's when they didn't want to confess. Maybe it just happened out of nowhere. But because of this, there's there's further ballistics and DNA that is taking place due to modern technology because that was, everything that happened was over 40 years ago and what they have today, the technology they have today, they didn't have then. So there are further ballistics of the rifle that he said that he used in the Tommy Gordon case. And there's also more DNA things happening. So and so the police have said that they haven't ruled out anybody, especially the cooks, um, for this murder. Now, these two leads were really only substantial thing I found and that investigators have really had to go on since then because there's minimal evidence, there's no witnesses, and... You know, like I said, he was found past his home. So obviously what people really believe is that he was picked up by somebody and unfortunately murdered. Now, Mark was unfortunately only beginning of tragedy for his family. The younger sister, Jacqueline, died of breast cancer in 2001 at the young age of 34. His older brother, Mike, apparently struggled his whole life with Mark's murder and he suffered a massive heart attack in 2008. According to one article, it said that Mike's son also died two years later in 2010, although I could not find out how. And Mark's mother, Billy, died in 2013. She had watched three of her children die and one of her grandchildren. Now, Angela, is uh, Mark's older sister, is the only one left. Now, to this day, she has really hoped to find Mark's killer and find, hopefully find closure from a lifetime full of misery. WTOL 11. On the website, there's a great storage that I found most of my information. There's a good video, and you can watch a lot of interviews with Angela. And she did revisit the site uh, with a friend of Mark's, who's Calvin Jones. And, you know, she had to revisit the site because she said she always takes different roads when she's around there. It's too hard for her and that she's the only one left and that the only thing she could ever maybe offer her family is some closure to find whoever did this. But unfortunately, after 40 years... This unsolved case continues to be cold. Thank you so much for listening to the 80s, a decade of crime. If you liked this episode, guys, just give us a five star, like, subscribe on wherever you guys are listening. If you want to follow us on Instagram at 80s crime podcast, you can find updates and images about the cases we cover. And also for a list of all the sources that we use in this episode, 
can go check out our show notes or on wherever you tuned in. Also, if you have any more information about this possible case, since it is open-ended, we'd love to hear from you. If you know anything more about it that we could possibly add in the future, just hit us up on Instagram and let us know if you have any more information about the murder of Mark DiStefano. I'm your host, Luke Pacheco. This episode was written and recorded by myself and Sarai Hendry. Sarai Hendry also did the editing and produced 80s Decade of Crime. And our little soundtrack was composed by Kyle Hendry. <laughs> <laughs>